Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> nice sunny day today. My daughter said I look like Captain America. <laughs> and, then, and then she told me it was just my tie, so. <laughs> Captain America let himself go, I guess. Um, I talked to Brandon yesterday, and I just want to let you guys know that they're having a good time on their vacation. They're feeling rested and uh, very appreciative that the church uh, allows them to go and take this time um, with their family. So they are doing well and looking forward to coming back. Um, I wanted to say in your uh, sermon notes there, there's a list of scriptures on the side. I know that can be intimidating to look at all of those. I just wanted to assure you that I'm not going to ask you to turn to all of those during the sermons. You don't have to like rifle around, but I just wanted them there so that um, uh, you can look at them later if you want to, uh, if you want to go there. So I will try to give time to turn to the ones that I will have you turn to. Um, let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Father, you are a good and gracious God, and we love you, and we thank you for being our Lord and our Savior. And Father, we thank you for your word that guides us on a straight path, Lord. I pray that we would hear your word and that we would listen to your word and be doers of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one here today in the area where they need to be convicted by your word, as I have been as I prepared the sermon. And Father, I just lift all these folks up to you and ask that we would trust your word, that we would love your word, and apply it to our lives Thank you for your grace and your mercy through your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. We are in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn there, please. Philippians chapter 2, and verses 14 and 15. I had intended to go farther than 15, but it didn't turn out that way. Um, Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Let me read that for us. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The passage of Scripture we're looking at today has to be understood from the context of the previous verses where Paul has called on the Philippian Christians to be even more diligent to obey the word of God now that he was not with them as he's sitting in a Roman prison facing the possibility of execution. He has written this letter to the people so that they will know how the gospel is being spread even among the guards where he's in prison. He has encouraged the people to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ, even in the midst of suffering, whatever hardships God has granted them to suffer for Christ. He also told them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, not to work for their salvation, but to work it out, to live out the salvation that God has accomplished in their lives. Fear and trembling out of reverence for God, not wanting to grieve Him. A fear and trembling that drives them to God in order to be sustained through suffering. 
Since then, it is God at work in the believer to will and to work for his good pleasure. We come to the next text in verse 14, where Paul instructs them not to be grumbling or disputing. What Paul is talking about here is really that which is directed at God, not that which is directed at other men and women, although that kind of grumbling and disputing is not good either. As God works in us, He brings hardship, suffering sometimes, to test the genuineness of our faith, to sanctify us, and to make us more like His Son, Jesus. He also does this to bring glory to His name and to bring more people to saving faith in Jesus Christ as we endure by faith without grumbling. Grumbling and disputing. I think we can all identify with these in one way or another. These two are, not, or these two are at their root sinful acts of selfishness and pride. We are at times the recipients of them and at times the perpetrators. Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it because they can be so subtle. Given the right mixture of circumstances, attitudes, moods, and frustration in a person or a group of people, these can be extremely contagious. I believe if we could hear Paul say these words to us, it would be done with a sense of urgency and warning. These are to be removed from our daily lives. They have terrible results for each individual, for the church, and for the unbelieving world. Looking at the sin of grumbling mentioned here in verse 14, some of your Bibles might use the words murmuring or complaining. They all have the same general meaning, that is, this sort of an under-your-breath kind of muttering or uh, to ourselves in displeasure about something. Children pick this up at an early age. And this really gets under the skin of parents. I'm pretty sure most parents have had or will have an exchange similar to this one with your kids. Hey, Bobby. I don't have any boys, so this can't be one of my kids. Right? <laughs> hey, Bobby, I need you to put your phone down and do the job that I asked you to do. And as you walk away, you hear it. The thing that can cause a parent's head to snap back like someone has a string tied to it and they yank on it. And under their breath, in a low, angry voice, it's, this is dumb. This isn't even my job. To which you reply with eyebrows raised, what'd you say? They quickly fire back, nothing. And then you say, that's what I thought. I don't really say that, but I might mutter it under my breath. <laughs> we adults can grumble and complain with the best of them. We do it at home, at work, at the restaurant, in the car on the way to anywhere, especially church. Our ability to grumble knows no bounds. And then there's the sin of disputing. Some of your Bibles will translate this as arguing or questioning. And this has the idea of quietly, sometimes with others, or perhaps in our thoughts, reasoning or arguing, arguing through what we've been grumbling about. Justifying our grumblings with why we think our circumstances shouldn't be our circumstances. Why we are right and someone else is not. 
Then we determine what is true and good according to what we believe we deserve. This really is a big deal. It has a major effect on our life in Christ and what we show the world about Christ. Grumbling and disputing is not just a bad attitude. It can start small, then build and build, until all we can do is grumble and complain and dispute and argue, and we become known for it. Paul does not give any flexibility, and there are no small or acceptable forms of these sins. He says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. This action shows our lack of trust in God, our lack of appreciation for Christ, and carries the ridiculous assumption that we deserve something better than what God has for us. In the 1600s, the Bible commentator John Trapp said this of the Christian man. If he be tempted to murmur, let him remember that he is yet alive, and that is more than his part cometh to since it is the Lord's mercy that he is not consumed and sent packing hence to hell. He said, life in any sense is a sweet mercy, even that which to the afflicted may seem a lifeless life. Lamentations 3.39 says, why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? May I suggest that we do not really want what we deserve. We must change our thinking. You may be thinking it's okay to grumble and dispute about some things, but what does the Scripture say? Do all things. What are all things? Well, it's all things. Galatians 5, through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. How about we start with doing all of those things without grumbling or disputing with God about it? You will find that they cover all the bases. Well, what if, no, all things... Say, well, I've been patient with him, but no, all things. But she, no, all things. Okay, wait, I don't think you get the situation. Let me explain it again. No, all things. God hasn't told us to do these things toward other human beings because it is easy or fun or because they deserve it. It is because this is how Christ treated us when he saved us from hell. We glorify Christ when we obey his word without grumbling. We stop grumbling and disputing so that we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Be blameless, free from fault or defect or without blame. This is not about being blameless before God because all believers are covered in Christ's righteousness for salvation. This is about being blameless before men, that God would be glorified. 
This is part of the working out of our own salvation with fear and trembling. Be innocent or pure or harmless, like a pure metal, not an alloy, which is a mixture. Or like how a pepperoni pizza is pure, but if you mix vegetables into it, it becomes defiled and unfit for eating. (laughs) It's no longer pure. In this sense, a Christian life unmixed or unadulterated by sin. About this verse, Charles Spurgeon says, Be ye blameless and harmless, says the apostle. The Greek word might be translated hornless, as if ye were to be creatures not only that do no harm, but could not do any. Like sheep that not only will not devour, but cannot devour. For it were contrary to their nature. For they have no teeth with which to bite, no fangs with which to sting, and no poison with which to slay. Children of God without blemish. To be blemished is to bring disapproval or to be open to rebuke, not spotless. Paul is acknowledging that they are children of God, these Philippians, He is saying, since you are children of God, act like it, live like it. Don't grumble and dispute, causing mixture of sin and having a blemished life. Blameless, innocent, without blemish. These are things that we are becoming as we are sanctified by the word and work of God in our lives. As Paul says later, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That we would be without blemish, Because the church exists in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Paul uses these words to draw our attention to an example in Scripture of what a crooked and twisted generation looks like. And he points us to Deuteronomy 32.5 where Moses says of the people of Israel, They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Why? Why were they a crooked and twisted generation? Because of their grumbling and disputing. They were not blameless, innocent, or without blemish. I want to look at some examples in scriptures. I'm going to run through several of them here, and you don't have to turn to them. I'll be kind of moving quickly through them, Uh, but they're in your sheet to look at later. We know the story of the Israelites in captivity in Egypt and how God uh, saved them by way of many miracles, and delivered them out of the hands of Pharaoh. God made a promise, and he was delivering on that promise, but they didn't like how Moses was leading them. And they quickly forgot about God's provision. Exodus 15, 24 says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Exodus 16, 2 And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. In Exodus 16, 8, And Moses said, 
When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against Him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Exodus 17.3, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Numbers 14.27, God says, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel that they grumble against me. And this is followed by God declaring that generation would not enter the promised land, but would die in the wilderness. In chapter 16 of Numbers, we have the account of Korah's rebellion. There was more grumbling against Moses and Aaron, but as we have seen, God views this as grumbling against him. It gets so bad that God kills more than 250 of them in a day, some by the ground opening up and swallowing them and then closing up again, and some God killed with fire. And the very next day, they complained and grumbled again. In number 1645, God tells Moses, Get away from the midst of this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Moses and Aaron tried to intercede for the people, but God sent a plague on them, and within moments, God killed another 14,700 Israelites. They may have directed their grumbling at Moses and Aaron, but in reality, it was grumbling against God against God's leading, God's provision, and against God's sovereignty in their circumstances. This was grumbling against every word of God. And what does all of this have to do with the church? Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. My wife told me I needed to give more time for people to get there, so I'm going to wait. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, <laughs> verses 1. Was that grumbling? I wasn't grumbling, was it? Uh, verses 1 through 11. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example 
but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So what does it have to do with the church? It was written down for our instruction. The book of Hebrews says the Israelites had evil, unbelieving hearts. When we grumble and dispute about the circumstances in our lives, we are grumbling and disputing with God. Remember, it is God working in us for His good pleasure, and the way He works is sometimes by bringing suffering, that we might glorify Him in how we obey and trust Him. And would we grumble? Not grumbling is something we must make ourselves do. It doesn't come natural, so we must practice it. Our thinking has to line up with knowledge that God is working in and through us for His glory. Then, when we might be tempted to grumble against God, we can be strengthened in the truth. Look at the example of Paul, who's in prison, possibly facing a death sentence. And you might think, God has forgotten him, or doesn't understand what Paul really needs God to do for him. When we do not fix our eyes on Jesus and cling to his words, we will not be familiar with his ways. And we can begin to grumble about our circumstances, forgetting that God instructed us how to respond properly. We must begin to have right thinking. How do we have right thinking? How do we think like Paul who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? What is that? That is the work of the Holy Spirit teaching a believer that God is for him. This is not just for missionaries or pastors, but as any of us display our hope in Christ by our actions and words in the face of difficulty and suffering, we do it for the glory of God and it sheds light in a dark place. That dark place is this crooked and twisted generation. Crooked, the Greek word this is translated from is where we get the word scoliosis from regarding those who may have a curved or crooked spine. Twisted has the meaning of that which has been distorted or perverted. A crooked and twisted generation is just what it sounds like. It's not straight. God's way is straight. His word leads us straight. A crooked and twisted generation has curved off of that path and perverted the truth of God. They have gone crooked and are twisting away from the straightness of His word. We are said here to be in the midst of this. In fact, if you have believed the gospel of Christ for salvation, remember that you were saved out of this crooked and twisted generation. Now, through Christ, you have been placed on a straight path, guided by the Word of God through the help of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why Christians are still here? Why didn't God just take us home when He saved us? Maybe Jesus forgot about us when He left the earth and went back to His Father. Did He leave us here just to go to work every day and raise nice children and then die? No, we are here to bring glory to God 
through our lives and by our testimony about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He did not forget us. He wants us right where we are until His will and good pleasure is accomplished. Jesus talked about this when He prayed for His disciples before He ascended into heaven. If you'll turn to the book of John, chapter 17. This is a prayer of Jesus to God. And we'll look at John chapter 17, verses 13 through 21. John 17, 13 through 21. But now I am coming to you, And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 gives more instruction about why we're here from Jesus. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. In case we were confused about why we're left behind. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's not about looking at our good works so that we look good. It's only those good works that are enabled through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it points to Christ. The world grumbles and disputes with God, And his word, that is to be expected. They do not believe him. They rebel against him. They hate Christ. And they will hate us because of him. Unless they cannot tell the difference between us and them. If we look crooked and twisted, talk crooked and twisted, think crooked and twisted, and practice crooked and twisted living, they will not hate us. We will be tolerant, progressive Christians. 
And then maybe people will want to come to church, right? Wrong. We cannot be the light of the world if we're participating in darkness. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of lights is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Christians are not to be monks, physically separating ourselves from the world in order to be spiritual. We are among the world, the text tells us. And it tells us that the children of God shine. It's a statement. True children of God shine. The church exists in the generation that we're in for the purpose of shining. Therefore, we cannot in thought and practice take part in or agree with the crooked and twisted things of the world. Much of the crooked and twisted things of the world are centered around sexual immorality, and the church is beginning to buy into it more and more. God's word is clear. Husband and wife married for life. Sex with any person or in any fashion outside of God's design in marriage is absolute sin. Will we grumble and dispute with God's word on this subject and tell God he is wrong? If any of you are sleeping with people outside of marriage, you must repent and stop. Some of you men need to stop watching pornography and find a brother in Christ to help you keep accountable. In God's eyes, you are committing adultery every time you do it, whether you are married or not. Some of you need to stop living with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Some of you need to stop grumbling and disputing with God about your spouse and determining that it is okay to divorce. We must stop divorcing. It is sin. Do you not know that marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and His church? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Some of you need to stop agreeing with other things the world says are acceptable, but God's word says is sin. We grumble against God when we say, it's okay for me as a Christian to enter into a dating relationship with an unbeliever. Really? Would you, a child of God, attach yourself to an enemy of Christ? 2 Corinthians 6, 14-15 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? None. They're rhetorical questions. We must believe what God says. This is Christ's church. 
purchased with His own blood. Before Christ died, God's wrath was hanging over everyone. It's as if God says, step aside so I may consume them in a moment. And then Jesus steps into the world and says, consume me instead, Father. And it pleased God to crush His Son for you and for me. And for all who would repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ. It's His church. Will we bring in crooked and twisted things and say it's okay? And try to justify it with our own reasonings? This is grumbling against God's ways and trying to replace them with our own because we have disputed with His word and determined we are right and He is wrong. These things should not enter the church. I'm not just talking about this church building, but about our individual thoughts and practices as members of Christ's church, as His body. Cling to the Word of God. It is the only truth we need to live by. How can we shine if we look no different than the world? Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Stop grumbling and shine. We all struggle with this. This is a daily battle for all of us. Try to recognize the subtle ways that you grumble and stop it. Own up to the not-so-subtle ways. Fix your eyes on Christ. We all need to work on ridding ourselves of the blemishes we bring on by our sin of grumbling and disputing with God's Word. And that is what we're doing, is grumbling and disputing against God's Word. What He says is true and right and good. God has not stopped hating these sins, but praise God for salvation found in Christ and Christ alone, who makes us white as snow by His own shed blood. He empowers us to shine as lights in the world as we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Do not fear the world and what the world thinks. Fear God and cling to His truth. Shining as lights is not just about being really nice or doing kind things for people. Unbelievers do that all the time. We cannot truly shine as lights without words that explain the light. The words of repentance and faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. It is not the gospel when we shine as lights in the, wor in the world. Our shining is the result of the gospel. And end with a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 19 through 21. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. 
Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Pray with me. Father, thank you again for your word. Oh, I pray, God, that every person here would be reflecting on their own life. Father, forgive us for our grumbling and disputing with your word. Forgive us for justifying our sinful behavior. Forgive us for trying to be accepted by the world or for believing what the world says, Lord, when it's contrary to your word. I thank you, God, for your forgiveness that is still available. Lord, strengthen us for each day. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit who clarifies your word to us. Thank you for the strength that you provide to do all these things that we cannot do on our own, Lord. I pray, God, that we would be in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, but not be in agreement with a crooked and twisted generation. May our lives shine, illuminating the sin that's around and showing that Christ is the only way to salvation. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Close with a song this morning if you would stand as we sing. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest the guilty pair bowed down with care god gave his son to win his erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin could we with and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the the scroll contain the whole the stretched from sky to sky 
measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song Thank you everyone for coming today and uh, pray that you'll go out and that we will trust the word of God and that we will uh, benefit from uh, gathering together with believers, listen to one another as we counsel one another from scripture, um, don't despise God's word, don't grumble against it. Thank you all. Have a good day.